21CL Radio. Happy Monday morning to you and welcome to the Education Vanguard. I am your host, Michael Bull, and I am so happy to have you here. Thanks for joining me as we, as me, as we continue on our mission, and that's to build communities of learners. All right, today I've got the most awesome interview. It's with a psychologist, and we're going to talk about devices, technology, and how it all works. And his name is Dr. Michael Carr Gregg. Is that a psychologist in your pocket? Uh, that's the title of Dr. Michael Carr Gregg's upcoming keynote at the 21st Century Learning Conference in Hong Kong. Yeah, I found that an interesting title, so I contacted him for an interview to ask him more about what the title really meant. Well, it turns out he is a huge fan of the potential offered by our devices, you know, smartphones, watches, tablets, those kinds of things, for working with mental health issues among teens. Now, I always thought that these devices were causing mental health issues, but he's looking as a way that we can take our new reality and use these connected devices to leverage something to benefit them. Dr. Cargreg discusses the work he is doing using devices to help teens with sleep, distraction, depression, anxiety, and even more, with strong support from the Australian government and others, he sees a positive future for the use of these devices that might one day have the suicide rate of teens. Dr. Michael Cargreg, thanks so much for joining me on the program today. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, it's great to have you here. My family's really excited. Uh, they want you at the end of this to uh, send an email confirming all the issues I have with myself personally that they've been talking to me about. I'm very happy. Look, I'll bring a couch with me to Would the you? conference. Yeah, and yes, I, I think just for you. It has to be at least three pages because that's their list is six pages long. So, oh, okay. <laughs> but I'll this do probably it in shorthand. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> this is probably a little bit less about me and more about uh, a presentation that you have coming up at the 21st Century Learning Conference. And sure. I just, you know, I'd like to ask you. It's a, it's the title psychologist in your pocket, and I have to say that's a little bit of a strange title. Did you come up with that one right away, or did after a little while did it come to you? Okay, so there are a couple of streams of thought here. One is that young people in Australia don't seem to be managing their well-being very well, and they are all carrying mobile phones. Um, we thought, particularly when it came to high prevalence disorders such as anxiety, depression, substance abuse, that it made sense for us to create interventions, psychological interventions, in the form of apps or web-based programs that would be literally in their mobile phone. So if I have a client who has a depressive episode, mm -hmm. I obviously can't be with them 24-7, but their phone is. Hence, is that a psychologist in your pocket? So, I mean, in some ways, is it a response to the fact that, look, these students are always going to have these phones and we have no choice, so we might as well take a positive uh, direction with using them? Yeah, and, and what we've found is that these devices are an effective way of engaging young people. They're anonymous, they're confidential, they're cheap, they're appealing. And, of course, they overcome a lot of the geographical issues, which are huge for mm -hmm. us in Australia, uh, but also um, the attitudinal ones and the financial ones. So I'm now using uh, mobile phone apps, web-based programs, in my clinical practice with young people mm -hmm. for psychoeducation. I use them for screening the kids in the first place. I use them for feedback, um, teaching them about decision-making, problem-solving, uh, the concept of doing some homework for me between sessions. I can do skills training. 
and of course, for those young people who aren't accessing help, mobile phones can help the sort of 70% of Australian young people with mental health problems who do not seek help to seek help. Wow, I didn't realize the numbers were that high. Uh, so tell me a little bit about the apps. So like maybe what one or two or more apps do you use? And is there maybe a story behind one of those that you could tell us uh, that's shown it to be a success story for you? Sure, sure. So there's a, uh, an Australian-developed app called Smiling Mind, which is a mindfulness meditation app. Mm-hmm. It was invented uh, right here in Melbourne by two philanthropists uh, who basically wanted to bring mindfulness meditation to the masses. And so they got together with some uh, techie people and they came up with this app. It's now been downloaded about 800,000 times. Um, it literally is used over and over and over again. Wow. And I would use it with clients who have, for example, an anxiety disorder because the great thing about this app, first of all, it's very user-friendly. Secondly, it does something which very few apps does, and that is it actually asks you your age, and therefore if you are seven years of age, there's a compartment of this app for you. If you're an early adolescent, a middle adolescent, Mm -hmm. or a late adolescent, or even an adult, there are different parts of this uh, app designed for you. So I really like that. Um, They contain uh, little MP3s, which are mindfulness sessions. Mm -hmm. Um, You can go through them, Uh, the more you use it, the longer they get. And in terms of the evidence base around mindfulness, what we know is they're very, very effective for anxiety disorders, but particularly effective for young people who have, for example, a mild to moderate mood disorder like a unipolar Mm -hmm. depression. And what we found is that they love it. It's with them all the time. Uh, They can use it. Even with my quite suicidal clients, in terms of distractions when they're doing their safety plan, quite often they'll nominate, oh, I can do a smiling mind session because that will distract me from my suicidal thoughts. So here is a very simple Australian-made app which anybody can use. It's free. And um, some major corporations right across the world, IBM, for example, are now using it internationally with their staff. Oh. So that's, that's really interesting. So, you know, you talked about the effectiveness. You meant specifically the effectiveness of the app or effectiveness of mindfulness in general for anxiety and depression and things like that. Well, we don't have... um, One of the big problems with all these apps that we talk about is there's a very, very... There's an enormous amount of work to do, particularly in terms of randomised controlled trials, to make sure that they work. So there is an RCT being done at the moment at Monash University in uh, Victoria. And that would Um, be your randomised control trial? That's right. Gotcha. Uh, which is which is basically looking at the effectiveness of this particular app, um, but in terms of mindfulness, we know that works. There's buckets of evidence to back that up. So we kind of, as a clinician, I don't generally like using things that don't have an evidence base. But the difficulty is my clients are bringing me these mm-hmm. apps, mm-hmm. so you kind of have to go with the flow. And I guess my most important thing is at least do no harm. That's the most important thing. Sure. There's, another, there's another fantastic app that all psychologists should be using, um, and this is one for cognitive behavioural therapy, which has a very good evidence base for depression and anxiety. It's called Mood Kit. And, again, the, I use this for homework uh, oh. and 
also to explain the basis of cognitive behavioral therapy to my clients. So even though it's an iPhone app, traditionally I'll download it onto my iPad. Um, I have two iPads, so my client will have one, I'll have the other, and we'll just move through the various screens of this particular app. And it's a wonderful way to educate them, to get them to understand the nuances of cognitive behavioral therapy, that you can't have a feeling without first having a thought and that your thoughts basically determine your feelings and then your behavior. So it's a brilliant educational app. So how did this come about? So I, I'm going to guess that you didn't become a psychologist in the last three years. You have a longer history behind you than that, right? And so it'd be interesting to hear about the evolution. Like, it, it, this must be a shift in how you initially, at least, or many years practiced. How did this evolution happen between a traditional practice and, hey, let's check out these apps. They're more than just a way to communicate on Facebook. Yeah, I've always had a love for technology and I've been an Apple computer user since 1984, which is when I uh, wrote my PhD. So ah, okay. I've always loved uh, technology. But um, I first became interested in the idea of using it in my clinical practice when somebody showed me uh, um, an app called NovoPsych which is unique to psychologists. And this is an app which has all my paper and pencil tests put on an iPad. And they said to me, look, all you have to do is give this to your client in the waiting mm -hmm. room. They can complete all of the tests that you want them to do. Oh. By, bl uh, by magic, it appears on your computer in your room with all the results, coded, done, and the interpretations before your client even walks in the room. <laughs> well, that just sold me completely because I don't have to use paper anymore. I could do the same tests every time to test how my client was going and how sort of magical my therapy was, was working or not. Um, and that just sold me. And then suddenly my client started bringing me all sorts of different apps because they knew from the fact that when they come into my office, they would get this iPad presented to them. This is so exciting. So that started in 2010 when the iPads first came out. Okay, that's interesting. So a lot of ways it's sort of an organic growth then from that point to some of the other apps you're using now. Yeah, and now I work as the managing director of the Young and Well Cooperative Research Centre, which was mm -hmm. set up by the Australian government. And we got 23 million bucks to basically develop apps uh, to help young people with their well-being, to help young uh, workers with young people in health, education and welfare to learn how to use these apps. So we've developed apps like Recharge, which is a sleep education app. Oh. Very, very important. Um, we've got um, a fantastic clinical tool called My Assessment, which is still in development, but will allow psychologists to do far more than just do psychological tests on the iPad. We actually invite the young people to share their uh, information with us before mm -hmm. we see them. In a trial that has been conducted by one of our PhD students, we actually found that young people disclosed up to 10 times the information to the iPad compared to a group which were just talking to a clinician. And the areas that they disclosed with the sensitive areas, the things like their sexual, uh, sexuality, um, whether or not they've been using drugs, uh, whether they'd been sexually assaulted, etc. So that was just absolutely a game changer. And um, that particular PhD just got a, a prime ministerial award from um, uh, the past prime minister in, in, in Australia just a couple of months ago. So it's very exciting. 
Now, as I mentioned before the show, I have a son with autism, and I've had he's 15, so I've been using various apps over the years, mostly for communication. And I used to do a podcast about autism, and I contacted a guy who made these apps, and he was excited about uh, the biometric possibilities that uh, come from these devices. Now we had this Apple Watch. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what you see the current uses for biometrics and the future uses for biometrics as they relate to your work. Okay, well, currently I'm using three uh, what you'd call wearable devices. Uh, one of them is called the PIP. It's uh, a little handheld device which uses galvanic skin response. So essentially it's measuring the amount of electricity that's being conducted across the surface of the skin at any one time. Okay. And what, what this does is it displays uh, how tense or how stressed you are uh, on your iPhone or your Android device uh, or your tablet device. Mm-hmm. And it's a wonderful way to get kind of instantaneous biofeedback. Um, the utility of that is I use it in conjunction with apps like uh, Smiling Mind to show the young people the impact of mindfulness meditation on their physiology. So that's very clever to combine the, the two, and they love it. Sure, of and course it's they a do. Way, way of getting them in. The other um, thing I've been using recently is a brain-sensing headband called Melon. I'm not okay. sure if you're familiar with this. <laughs> I am not, but what a fantastic name. <laughs> That's brilliant. Uh, so what that does is literally reads your brain waves, and again, it's neurological feedback. So as we get people to relax, obviously their brain relaxes, and you can see it again displayed. There's a whole lot of games that you can play. That The gamification mm-hmm. of this app is amazing. Uh, my clients love that, and I'm trialing it now on some of my clients with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder mm-hmm. to see whether or not the focus games can actually teach them how to focus more. And again, this is like really in its infancy. It's it's this is just the beginning. This whole area is very embryonic. And the last um, wearable device that I use a lot is the um, Fitbit, uh, and I'll use the Fitbit to get my clients to exercise. Uh, and also to sleep better okay. because it tracks both. And as a what I call a education tool, you can't go past these uh, Fitbits or Jawbone Ups or whatever you want to use. I use both of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, my clients love it because when they get up in the morning, they can see a dashboard of how they slept. Uh, they can send that to me um, and I can keep track on how well they're going. Sleep, of course, is a major problem with my clients. In Australia, young people require nine hours of sleep every night in order to function properly. By and large, for a whole range of different reasons, um, some are getting up to 5.5, which is really, you know, not enough. And that impacts... No, it, it, it impacts on all aspects of their lives. Their, you know, irritability levels go up, their um, general well-being, but also their, their ability to perform at school. So we combine a whole range of these things together just to get the kids to understand the importance of this stuff and by and large they love it. Now, do you feel that the biometric devices are mature enough where you can, as a professional, establish a baseline of whatever their behavior is before they or when they first start seeing you, and then be able to rely on the data that comes in, whether that's going to be remotely sent to you into a sort of a, a web package that you can use to analyze it? I mean, do you feel like it's at that point as far as maturity goes, or is it we still kind of waiting for that to happen? 
No, I think we are still waiting for that to happen, but I make that very clear to my clients that this data is a rough approximation um, because we have really clear data that, you know, that stuff is um, kind of really crude. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. It's getting better. There are devices now like the Bedit, B-E-D-D-I-T, which is a strap you put on the kid's bed and it basically reads their movements during the night and sends that to their... Uh, phone, that's actually far more sophisticated than the the wearables. But look, to me, it's all about education. And as long as you're up front and say it's it's crude, that's fine. I did have a client who had a bit of a sense of humour and he put his <laughs> his Fitbit on his dog. And I, I couldn't figure out how come this guy was doing 55,000 steps a day. Right. That was just extraordinary. But he had a great sense of humor, and I, I tweaked to what he was doing. Of course, if he put it on his cat, he'd only like have 10 steps a day, right? Yes, that's right. Now, do you see the adoption? I mean, you know, you're, you're sensing the alpha or if there's something before alpha stage of what you're doing here. Do you see this as something that uh, mainstream uh, psychology is going to adopt in the future? Is that, do you see it heading that direction, or you just hope it will? Well, I just got elected to the board of the Australian Psychological Society. And, and they knew the about thing- this, right? Like the- and they knew oh, okay, that I was okay. this sort of technology freak guy. Gotcha. Um, and to give you an idea of how keen they are, they've actually had me run four uh, nationwide webinars for them promoting the use of technology. Uh, secondly, it's been recommended by the National Mental Health Commission report, which was handed down last year uh, by the National Mental Health Commission, and they have said the government can save huge amounts of money by adopting this type of technology. We need to plug it in. We need to do more research. Uh, but we do have enough apps, enough wearable devices, enough web-based programs like Mood Gym, which has had seven randomised controlled trials to show that this is a very effective tool for the treatment of mild to moderate depression and anxiety. So it's not just the apps, it's not just the wearables, it's the web-based programs and Australia leads the world in the design of these programs. So that's very, very exciting. We've got government um, recommending it, we've got the Psychology Society promoting it and now all we have to do is train the uh, people to do it and I have just written, I spent the year writing the world's first ever online certificate in young people's mental health and technology and uh, that goes live in a couple of weeks. So I'm very, very excited and anyone in the world can do it. Wow, that sounds pretty interesting. I sure hope you'll let us know at 21st Century Learning so we can uh, promote that for you. Oh, thank you very much. I certainly will. So, I wonder if you could, uh, well, you know, what for, I was going to ask you to speculate about the future, but before that, do you think then, this is like sort of a future question, that right now medication is used in a lot of ways, right, to uh, mitigate or ameliorate problems with depression. Do you see these devices as a way of doing that? And perhaps then the, there won't be side effects in the same way as there is well, with Well, sure. We know, for example, already uh, through the seven randomized controlled trials that the use of Mood Gym, which is an Australian-developed online program for depression and anxiety, that uh, the results are identical uh, to face-to-face uh, work with therapy for therapists with uh, mild to moderate depression and anxiety. So we've already got the evidence that these things can work. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of one of the biggest problems around young people and medication is that they don't take the 
pills when they're supposed to, we've got an app for that now. It's called okay. Pill Boxy, which reminds them to take that. So looking forward, what do I think? I think the Apple Watch will be a wellness ecosystem on its own in about five years' time. Okay. I can imagine that. What else, uh, sort of a final question here, what do you hope then might, like if we were to have this conversation five, ten years down the road, I think you'd probably be, it'd be a much more mature industry, so you'd probably be talking about things that have happened, but what are some of your hopes of things that will happen? We'll have the youth suicide rate, number one, because we'll have suicide um, prevention apps on the kids' phones. We've already got safety plans developed by the Californians and the Texans, and we're developing two here ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I think that will be the future. I think the, the, the real pointy end of adolescent mental health, the part that teachers worry about, the part that parents worry about, I think this technology has the capacity to half the suicide rate. I've been talking with Dr. Michael Cargreg. He's the managing director of the Young and Well Cooperative Research Center in Australia. Thank you so much for your time today, sir. Been an absolute pleasure. This interview was brought to you by 21st Century Learning International. Find us on the web at 21clradio.com. <laughs>